0: Well for those of you who are are out there on Facebook live we welcome you again we are so glad that you're just viewing with us and joining us in service and and singing songs and praising God and worshiping him and we just want to continue to encourage you to remain with us as we move forward through this worship time and we're so glad that you guys are here in house where slowly growing through this time, and we're enduring through this difficulty of what we would call, or what they're calling a pandemic, but we're going to keep moving forward, believing that God has a purpose for his people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, good. Well, you can imagine as as we're here on Facebook Live, I can't show a video, but just imagine watching right now Forrest Gump, and that scene where he's sitting there at the bench waiting for the bus, and there is a woman next to him, and he's sharing with her about how he can run, and the story when he was a young boy and how the kids would throw rocks at him. They would hit him in the head and call him stupid. Now this is a fictional character. Um, he had braces on his legs, he couldn't really walk, he looked awkward, and here he was, and they were. Kind of, And his old friend Jenny, my Jenny, and Jenny happens to say, run for his run. So he just starts running. And as he's running, the boys get on their bicycle, and they're going after him. And they're going on their bicycles and going after him down this long road. And he's running, but he's barely running because his legs are kind of going sideways like this. All of a sudden, a miracle happens, of course, on the movie, and it's fictional, and all the braces and everything's just falling off, and he just starts to run. And he said to the woman, it goes back to the caption where he's there with that woman on the bench saying, you wouldn't believe it, but I could run like the wind. And so he's running, and he's running, and he's running, and then all of a sudden, it's a miracle. He's running, and I just started running everywhere. And so he's just running and running and running. And although all the ridicule, the persecution, all of that that he received, he was still willing to run. And we've been talking about in these last couple of weeks, finishing up this week, about collide and how we have to face our fears and I just, as we're going to look at the, a passage in the book of Hebrews, we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to run and endure in this race that what we would call the Christian walk? And God has put us in this race, and we have to ask that question. And it's Collide, as we've been talking about, we've been talking about the stars, the white dwarf, more massive than even the sun, which a sun is a star, and the massive weight that it carries and the gravitational pull of pushing and pulling that keeps that star alive. And how when a star comes to the end of its life, it has two ways in which it can, which can occur. It could either explode or implode. When two stars are orbiting and rotating around each other, they get too close to where they hit one another and explode. And it's called a supernova. An incredible picture, a beautiful picture. If you ever want to look it up, it's a beautiful picture of when two stars are colliding. They're they're colliding. Actually, it's a collapsing, which in the Latin word means to collide. But then there's the other portion of a star, too, where the mass of that star is so heavy in its core that it can't hold itself up, and then it starts to lose its life, and it implodes. And it implodes into a black hole, and it's forming a black hole, and implodes And so you have this explosion and implosion. It's either your faith, what we look at as faith is going to collide with your fear and create an explosion like in a testimony, or it's going to create an implosion where your fear overcomes your faith. And so this week we want to talk about how the fear of failure, if we don't recognize that that can be an implosion in our lives, that each one of us will struggle with our perspective of failing and even allow it to implode us. On August 6, 1999, a Major League Baseball player stepped up to a home plate in Montreal and made another out. It was his 5,113th out of his professional career. Now, that's a lot of trips to the batter's box without a hit for all you baseball lovers out there. If a player made all those outs consecutively and he averaged four bats per game, he would play eight seasons, 1,278 games straight without ever reaching first base. Now in that particular night, was this player discouraged that night? No. Did he think he had failed himself or the team? No. You see, earlier in the game, in his first appearance, that player had reached a milestone that only 21 other players did in the Major League Baseball history. He hit his 3,000th hit. His name was Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn was one of the best baseball players that ever played the game. Now, if you have a 333 average, you're a great player. In fact you're getting one out of every 3 at bats you're getting one hit. It just happened that this year that LeMahieu from the New York Yankees happened to win the batting championship and the batting being the batting champion he had a 364 average. So it would even be close to almost at every 2 at bats he would get a hit almost. Occasionally would be thrown into the formula. But with all these outs he was still one of the greatest baseball players to play the game. And Tony Gwynn realized that in order to get hits, he had to make plenty of outs. In other words, he needed to fail in order to succeed. He had to endure every time he went up. Any baseball player, professional baseball player, when they're, o, when they're two or o for 34 or two for 37, and they just have to keep enduring every at bat to get that hit and then hit a streak. They call it a baseball hitting streak where they start to go nine for 18, hit 500. But they could be hitting .067, but then all of a sudden hit 500. That's the game. But you gotta keep enduring. And that's kind of what it is. You and I, we're running. Run, Christian, run. That's what we're doing. We're talking about today run, Christian, run, because you have to endure the race. You have to be willing to fail before you succeed. You have to look at failure just a little bit different. And we have to realize that we have a faith that hits us in understanding that we are a people of God who are going to fail. And we can't be bigger than our faith. We have to allow God to work his faith through us. Remember, it's God's faithfulness through us. It's not our faith in God that allows us to operate even in our failings. So look at chapter 11 of Hebrews, uh, verses 1 through 3. And as we look at this, we have to understand what faith is, So we're going to just break this down a little bit, so just hang with me if you can. Now it says, "Now faith is assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen." If you're out there and you're wondering, if someone asks you the question, "What is the definition of faith, please write this down, Hebrews 11:1. That's your definition. Because what the author is saying is he's saying that, this is faith, the content of faith, the person, the work of Jesus Christ, is the assurance of things hoped for. In the Greek, the word hoped for is in a passive form, which means it's God who's done the work. It's the the object of faith in which we're putting our, our faith in. So God is the one in whom we're hoping for. So our assurance is hoping in God who sent his son. So as the Hebrews author is writing, he's writing with that sense that, hey, this is faith. Because later in this chapter, just a couple of verses down, it says, For it's impossible to please God without faith. So now he goes on in verse two, he says, For if by it the people of old receive their commendation. So the old people, the Old Testament, the old saints, in the Old Testament, they place their faith in God. Now that word's important right there, commendation, because that's not only here in verse two, it's in verse four, it's in verse five, it's in verse 39. In fact, it's seven times in the book of Hebrews. And that idea that it's to say that God has approved, it. it's also a word in the Greek, it's martyreo, which means to bear witness. So throughout all of this, they were bearing witness of whom God is in their lives and their faith in God. So God is commending them and bearing witness of their faith in him. And then in verse 3, it says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, which means God created by simply his voice, he he spoke it. And then we understand, too, that the word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is that he was breathing scripture to us. So it's not that man wrote about God, but that God spoke and revealed himself to mankind, but even to his people. And so here we see that created by God is even in the passive I mean, God's doing the work, He's the creator, so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible, because God is invisible. And so as we see that, so it's faith in God that we don't see Him, but we see the very thing. So that's some a general revelation, and then we know special revelation is His word written to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we look at this and we understand. We're looking at this passage, and what we're seeing is God's command, verses one through three, God's promises, and God's existence. So this word commendation means to confirm or attest something on the basis of personal knowledge or belief. So these men of God, women of God, they bore witness of their faith in God as God bore witness of them trusting and leaning on him. But as we look at this passage, we think of it as the Hall of Fame. Baseball has a Hall of Fame. Football has a hall of fame Basketball has a hall of fame Well this is so called the Christian hall of fame Of people of faith And we often look at these players From the baseball or football As someone we could look up to Who never makes mistakes Who always has their game together The, the, the quarterback never throws interceptions And they never fail or fumble the ball Or the running back never fumbles the ball And he's always got a, a, a running average Of five, six yards a carry No, they fail often But let's look at this passage and realize that as we're looking at chapter 11, there are a host of people who have followed God that were commended by God, but yet they failed. Let's just look at a couple who are here. We got Noah, right? What's Noah known for? He's a drunk. I know that's just like, wow. Okay, then we got Abraham, right? Abraham was a liar, okay? Now we got Jacob. You guys are probably saying, wow, I feel better already. Deceiver. I mean, now deceiver, right? Now we keep going on. We're like, Joseph, wait a minute, Joseph? I mean, what did Joseph do wrong, type of Christ? He did everything right. What did he do wrong? Well, yeah, he was a brat. You know, he was a brat. You got to think about it. If you're a younger sibling, like I said last week, and you have an older sibling, yes, you might be a brat. Because I was a brat when I was a kid. I have this eight millimeter picture of myself in a video, and I'm taking an ice cream from my brother. And I'm about two years old, and my mother is encouraging it. And my poor brother just sat there crying. I could see why we fought a lot when we were growing up. He would sit there, and he was crying. And I was saying, yeah, I got my ice cream. I got my ice cream. And I'm dancing around, and he's just crying. And my oldest brother is walking away. And so I'm the I'm the youngest of three and still to this day he'll call me little brother but here's the thing even a brat can start trouble and I gotta be honest with you, if you're younger and you use that old I'm the youngest I'm the youngest I get my way you're being a brat I mean look and I'm, I'm a brat too I can we can all be a brat and from my wife's like you're still a brat and you're married so you know the idea is that you're working through this but Moses look at Moses he was a murderer look at Gideon he was a coward. And then, and then we have Barak. What was, what was he? He was a doubter. In that time, he doubted God. And God had Deborah to step in. And at that time, in that history, for a woman to lead over a man was amazing. It showed that he did not have faith in trusting God. But yet he's a man of faith. And he's listed in this Hebrews 11 of the Hall of Fame. And David, we know David very well, adulterer. Murderer list goes on and on and on on and on you know it's like you know you keep going on and on and on, but Hebrews 12 we're looking at this passage today because as we look at this passage we have to understand all of these people came before us failed. And does God always highlight their failings? Chapter eleven did he or did he talk about faith let's look at this for just a second because as you look at Hebrews 12 verse one Two. You see the first part of verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so, glad, uh, so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, as we're seeing that, we have to ask these, these questions, because as we're looking at it, we have to understand that he's highlighting this. And he goes on to say, let us lay aside every, every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so he's highlighting all these men and women of faith, and he's highlighting the fact that they were a people of faith, but they failed. So we today... How are we going to consider, how are we going to overcome our fear to fail? Well, let me just share a couple of things with you here. We can overcome our fear of failure by doing the first thing, by being faithful, not flawless. God didn't call us to be perfect and flawless, never making a mistake, never failing. God didn't call us to that. He didn't bring us to his fold through his son, Jesus Christ. He didn't. We're not bearing the name of Christ because we have it all together. In fact, the opposite. We don't have it all together. And if you look at this particular passage again in verse 1, therefore, since we are uh, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, we have to stop there because the word therefore In the Greek, means for this reason. Now, you might say, okay, well, when you're ever studying and looking at the scriptures, whenever you're looking, this basic study method, this basic Bible study method, is you have to look at that, therefore, you have to return back to a couple of verses prior. So as we're looking at verse 1 of chapter 12, we got to go back to chapter 11 and go to verses 39 and 40. I'm just going to share a couple of things. It might be worth a quarter, but I'll give it to you. All of these though commended through their faith, there goes that word commended, approved by God, did not receive what was promised. Now, what is that word promise? Why is it that the author of Hebrews is sharing the word promised? Well, let me just share a couple of things with you. The word promise goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, the seed, and it talks about the consecutive progressing of the covenants throughout the Old Testament. You have the Abrahamic covenant, you have the Davidic covenant, and then you have the New Covenant understand, too, that the new covenant is mentioned in chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, which is a quote from Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. So it's important to understand that with the new covenant and the promise, God is highlighting that the Old Testament saints and the audience of this passage, of this book, are either Jews, Jewish believers, or unbelievers. And if you have one of those views and you study this book, some may take a different view. And as you see that, and you would understand the audience that could be, I would think it's a mix of all, but he's talking to the Jew who be, has come to faith in Christ in the first century. And as the promise has been laid out in the Old Testament, there's yet something to still be laid out as they understand the new covenant is through Christ. So as this is laid out, you have a systematic theology. Now watch now, I'm just going to stay here for a couple of minutes here. There's a systematic theology because this is eschatological. This is future. you got to understand your faith is not just present. It's future. And so whenever we have a perspective that it's only present, then we're missing out what God has for us in the future. We have to encompass faith as a total. So when you're looking at it systematically, systematic theology, you're looking at it from an eschatological view, which means of the end times. And what they would see, there are three different views. You have a dispensationalist that believes that what's being said of the promise will be for the Jews in the future, in the millennial period, and the new Jerusalem, and the new heavens, and the new earth, but you would have that view, and that's a revised dispensationalism, which saying that we would be beneficiaries or benefactors of what is going to the Jews as Gentiles. Then you have the second one, a progressive dispensationalist, that believes the already not yet, that in the church age that we today have presently the entirety of the salvation that is 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 Past, present, and future, but it's the idea that God has saved us, and the already not yet means we have it. Christ reigns in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. It's the Pentecost. It's the start of the church age, and then what it does, it's saying that we still have a future to come in the millennial and in the new Jerusalem. But now you have an amillennialist who doesn't believe there's any tribulational period, doesn't believe there's any, that's why it's mill. no millennial period. They believe that the church age has inaugurated the people of God into this church age, what we would call, and we are now in this so-called presence where Satan is actually bound today. I have a problem with that. I don't see Satan bound right now. I think he's working, he's working around under the authority of, of Almighty God, but yet working, and he's working hard, and especially working on marriages And so when you see this promise, he's saying that that they don't have it. They haven't received this promise yet because it hasn't been in its fullness, its entirety. But then he goes on in verse 4, and he says, since God had provided something better for us, and now he's telling the Christian there's something better than the Old Testament. There's something better than this so-called promise of the covenant. He says that now that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Meaning it's encompassing of one and all. When you see made perfect, anything made righteous, made perfect in the, t- in the scriptures, let me share this with you. You have three phases of salvation. You have justification, declared righteous. You have sanctification, progressive in, in your righteousness or in, in your sanctification. And you have glorification, which is made righteous, because we'll be in his presence. That's the fullness thereof. That means that encompassing our faith is not just justification. It's sanctification and glorification. So, as you and I have that perspective, we're in a better place. But if we're in a better place, how come it's so difficult for the people of God to operate in that? Because I think we're holding on to failure. God has made it possible for us to walk overcoming the fear to fail. And he's called us to faithfulness. That's why when you see so great a cloud of witnesses, God never said to look to them and get strength. God says look back at them because they're from heaven looking down. But we're looking back at them saying, hey, they were a faithful people that failed. And if you and I can understand that and grasp that, then our perspective will change and then our faith will become stronger in our lives because then we'll die to self and stop trying to figure it out ourselves or think it's because of us. Do you know it has nothing to do with you and I? Do you know that it has nothing to do with your your strength or my strength? It has all to do with God's strength. It also do with his faithfulness. Do you know our faith is based on his faithfulness through his son? It's not based on what we do. That's why the Holy Spirit is deposited. If if, if we didn't need God, he would have never deposited the Holy Spirit. That's why the Holy Spirit is present in our lives. He's permanent and dwelling. He's not selective and temporary from the Old Testament because God wants us to carry out his hopeful message of the gospel because it's a carrot in front of us. If I know that Jesus has got my back, he's coming back, and no matter what happens, he's always going to be victorious, then that carrot's in front of me for me to be motivated every day to live for him. It's going to be run, Christian, run, because I'm going to endure. I'm going to run this race. So faithfulness is necessary. We got to be faithful. It's not flawless. Number two, we need to be overcoming our fear of failure by removing sin, not running with it. Let me just talk a little bit about this, removing sin, not running with it. So we know that sin is removed through forgiveness and confession of sin, that God's doing it, but there's a statement here that the author is highlighting about Talking about letting aside or let us also lay aside every weight. Let me just stop there. The word lay aside is similar to what when we said putting on the new self. Remember in the the fight sermon series, I said, You gotta put on the new self? It's the same thing, it's a middle voice. We have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, lay aside our weights. See, the word weight in the Greek here is that which hinders someone from doing something. Weight, burden, impediment, obstacle, hurdle. It's something that is attached to us that we can't seem to let go. You know, when the runners would run in the first century, they would run in a stadium, they would run for competition, and when they did, they ran practically naked. Because what happened was when they were running, they had to take every bit of weight off of them. Now, i got to be honest with you. Pastor Dennis, he's a runner, right? And he would tell you, if he came up here, he would tell you, wear lighter shoes, lighter material. Because you got to keep, because your core, because your legs, because you want to be able to endure the race. Now, me, I have that problem. No matter what I wear, I still have a problem. i got all this weight that i got to hold on to. So it's hard for me to run. So I'm not a runner. I just get exhausted hearing how much he runs. But it's like the idea that just running is too much. For me, to that camera right there, is a sprint. I mean, that's about as far as I'm going to run for so the idea is that running is enduring the word here for endurance even in this passage is a marathon and so the idea is that they were letting go every bit of their weight to run the race so what is this weight what is this hindrance what is this burden is it unreserved internal conflict battling with self inadequacies low self esteem inferiority Significance, insignificance? Is it unresolved external conflict, arguments with friends, neighbors, and family members, marriages, siblings? Unresolved past issues we had a bad experience and afraid it, we will repeat it so to avoid taking risks that could lead to failure? Could it be rejection by parents? There are many marriages that are being confronted today in Christ, Christians, because one individual in the marriage has been rejected by parents and can't let it go and has destroyed their own marriage. I hear of many stories as a pastor and I have friends that they're just struggling or afraid to fail as a parent because your parents failed you. I mean, all of this could be that weight that's burdened. So how do we lay this aside? How do we get rid of it? If the weight involves past defeats, disappointments, and discouragements, then is it possible that one may need to change his or her perspective on failure? Possible. Could the weight be you or me? Individually, like, could it be us? Evangelist D.L. Moody was once asked which people gave him the most trouble. His response was, I have more trouble with Dwight L. Moody than any other man alive. The television host Jack Parr echoed the same thought. Looking back, my life seems like one long obstacle race with me as the chief obstacle. If you are continually experiencing trouble or facing difficulties in your life, we need to check this and say, is it me? No matter what argument, struggle, difficulty at work, in your home, with a family member, it's important we have to check ourselves before we blame someone else. And see, that's where the weight may be. See, we might have to change our perspective. Maybe we should say, don't let failure define your persona. Don't let failure determine your potential. Don't let failure devastate your perspective. I'll give you an example here. President Harry Truman, 1922, 38 years old, in debt with no job. 1945, the most powerful man on earth, President of the United States. Here's Lincoln's failures. Abraham Lincoln. Let me just read them off to you. 1831, he lost his job. 1832, defeated and run for Illinois state legislator. 1833, failed in business. 1834, Elected to the Illinois state legislator, success. 1835, sweetheart died. 1836, has a nervous breakdown. 1838, defeated and run for Illinois' House Speaker. 1843, defeated and run for nomination for U.S. Congress. 1846, elected to Congress, a success. 1848, lost to re-nomination. 1849, rejected for land officer position. 1854, defeated and run for U.S. Senate. I mean, can you get enough of defeateds? Defeated and run for nomination for vice president, 1856. 1858, again defeated and run for U.S. Senate. I mean, this man is just defeated, 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 defeated. Failure, 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 failure. What do we know Abraham Lincoln for? 1860, elected president. You see, he didn't allow it to beat him down. He continued to run and run and run. He didn't let anything weigh him down. He didn't allow anything to beat him down. And when you see this passage, we see the Christian. It's not just the weight in which we hold on to. It's our sin. But the word sin here, is in a, it's got a definite article, which means that it's got potential as one who would identify with sin as faithlessness. See, in this book, in the book of Hebrews, there's five warnings there for those who, specifically for the Christians and for the Jewish Christians who did not obey God. There were un- there was, it was unbelief, apathy, and faithlessness. And what the author is saying is that it's your sin that's stopping you from truly being intimate with God to endure. There was the Levitical system the priesthood as an external and temporary outside force, Judaism. It was the identifying with the law. Because, see, what's funny is that just because you're identified as a Jew or you're identified as a religious Jew doesn't make you a person who is walking with God. See, righteousness is not attained by following the law. See, sin When we're in sin, it promotes selfishness and defiance and disobedience, unbelief and faithlessness. We can be apathetic and still believe Jesus is Lord, but be apathetic and not act out on our faith, and then we're just walking in unbelief. I've said this before in Acts 14, verse 2. It says that that the word for unbelief is apathy in the Greek. And see, so often if we're not active in our faith, if it's not working and it's not overcoming our fear, a supernova is not going to happen. If fear overcomes our faith, we're going to implode. And the mass of our core of our walk with God is just going to, it's going to be too heavy for us. We're weighed down. We're holding on to that weight. That's what it is because we're, we're out to please self rather than God. We want self as our primary source of strength rather than God. And so we have to understand that we got to let God remove sin. We can't run in our sin. We can't let these weights and these burdens consume us to where we fall back. Another thing, the third thing, we overcome our fear of failure by enduring the pain, not eliminating it. Understand here, as you look at this passage, and it says at the end of it, it says, "...and sin which clings so closely." And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word endurance means the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. So to endure, but here's the kicker right here. The word race is where we get the word agone, agony, pain. So what's happening here is that so often we're walking with Christ and we think it's supposed to be easy and convenient and that everything is... Why are we surprised when it's painful? Why are we surprised when we're walking or running in this race that all of a sudden it's painful and we complain and we say, God, why are you doing this to me when God has already warned us that to run this race we're called to endure the race with agony? With pain that you know and I know that if I start running just even a half a mile, it's going to be very painful on my legs, on my ankles, on my feet because I'm carrying extra weight. And if I keep carrying that weight, it's going to be painful. But if I'm holding on to weights and burdens and obstacles and all these things that are holding me back and distracting me from loving God and being intimate with him, well, of course it's going to be painful because I'm holding on to a weight. I'm holding on to sin. That's where the problem is in the Christian. That's why when God's saying, run, Christian, run, it's not going to be easy. It's agony. It's going to be agony and pain. And those who run races, marathons, Pastor Dennis will tell you it's painful. But you have one goal in mind, what, you want to finish the race. The failure is not finishing the race. So endurance means to hold out in the midst of difficulty, pain. That's what we're called to. And what was set before him and the Christian is God already set it up. It's in the passive form in the Greek, which means God's saying, I already set up the race for you to win. I set up for you to be successful. I've given you my son. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness. You don't need anything else. Why are you distracted looking at everyone else and holding on to all these things? You have a race and the carrot is Jesus. Amen? Do you believe that? Then we need to put Jesus as that carrot in front of us all the time saying, I, and that's where eschatologically our faith is complete and encompassing because we're looking to the end, and that end is to be in his presence forever. We're only a breath away to be in his presence, but why are we waiting to be in his presence? Don't we want to do something for the kingdom today? Don't we want to run this race even though it's painful? We have to be stronger than that. We have to be a soldier in Christ. We have to be strong and endure. We've got to run this race, even if you're carrying extra weight. God's called us. So what made these people stand out in Hebrews 11? Was it, their, was it that they never failed? <laughs> was it that they were perfect? They never made a mistake? No, it's this. Jesus, Jesus. They, they focused on the Messiah yet to come, the God who created the heavens and the earth, Jesus, who's our champion. Do you know that word when you see in chapter 12, verse 2, where it says, look on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith? That word in the Greek means champion. He's our champion. He's the one who's finished the race and finished it well. See, Jesus, our champion, has faithfully endured and overcame our failures, our sins, Our shame. So we can faithfully run our race. It's Jesus. See, God never said, Look to those who are from the back in the past, not the cloud of witnesses. He said, Look to Jesus. That's why he says here, he's the author. Whoever that author is, I bet you that's going to be the most famous question in heaven. Lord, Lord, before you bring me in the gate, all right, who wrote Hebrews? Come on, bring it on. I want to know who wrote Hebrews. It's not Paul. Who was it, Lord? Because no one knows who the author is. No, no scholars know. But whoever this author was, he said it well through the power of the Holy Spirit, looking to Jesus, which in the Greek, it means to direct one's attention without distraction not looking to the right or to the left, not being weighed down, laying that all aside and saying, I'm going to look to Jesus. And Jesus is the one whom I'm fixing my eyes on him. That's what it means to fix our eyes. So when we get focused on ourselves, we keep the weight and we refuse to get rid of it. Why again? It would be because a sense of failure to expose our weight. So we hold on to it. We rationalize it. We become apathetic toward it. We resolve it ourselves. That's what we're doing. But what made these people stand firm and endure? What, how were they able to continue running and enduring the agony? They kept their eyes on Jesus. They kept their eyes on Jesus. They did not hold on to that weight or sin that so closely was clinging to them. They were not allowing the distraction of failure or their sin to keep them from enduring and persevering through the race. See, that's why when Jesus, when the author said about who for the joy set was set before him. You know what that the word joy is? We get the word charismatic or we get charisma, and it's grace gifts, but it's joy, but charis. So charis is the word, but what was Jesus' joy? It was to get back to the Father. There is an intimate relationship. With the Father, this harmonious unity, this intimacy of getting back to the Father. Yes, secondarily, he was doing it for the sake of mankind, but especially for his elect. To, to endure the cross, to despise the shame, to go through the pain, to not blame anyone but put it on himself. We as Christians got to stop blaming each other and start putting stuff on ourselves. We got to look to ourselves and realizing I am the one, I have a problem with me before I have a problem with someone else. And through it, it was set before him. Why? Because it was predetermined, Acts 2.23, it was predetermined that he should die. So it was set before him. And what happened was he went back to the father, sat at the right hand of the father, resurrected and enthroned as the Davidic king The king of all kings reign in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. He finished well. He didn't fail. He finished his race. And because he finished his race, you and I through the power of the Holy Spirit can finish our race. We can run, Christian, run. We can do it. But we got to put ourselves, laying ourselves aside, saying, God, so what is your weight? What are you fixated on? What are you distracted by? What's that very thing in your life you know is sin, but you're not letting it go? Where are your eyes going? Where's your heart going? Are you easily distracted? Not because you may have ADHD or something. I'm not referring to that. But we can be easily distracted. Are our eyes so focused on the things of this world, focused on the election, focused on COVID, focused on what's going to happen, the fear of it? Are we looking to Jesus? I have found myself in a serious battle, guys, struggling through staying focused on Jesus and the psychological war that we're in. I text Pastor Dennis here. I said, please pray. because goes, you okay? I said, I'm okay. I'm just a little discouraged. Please pray. And that's the enemy attacking me on Saturdays. But let me tell you something. We need to stay focused. See, you need to be praying for us, the pastoral team. Be praying for the staff. Be praying for each other. We're this small little local church but there are many local churches all around the world and we're the universal church we need to be praying for each other we need to endure this race we need to fight strong we need to fight this battle running and believing God to do it through us but what is your weight because enough's enough guys we can't do this anymore we can keep with the excuses and be apathetic or we're going to get serious about being intimate with Jesus what is it is it Jesus that you're fixed on Don't give yourself too much credit. I don't give too much much credit to myself. Or is it you? I'm the first one to admit it's me. I focus more on myself than I do anything else. And I have to fight through that and run this race focusing on Jesus. Would you join me as we need so desperately as God's people to focus on Jesus? The author and perfecter of our faith, the champion the one who overcame, the one who is of the new covenant who shed his blood for you and I. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful today. You truly are awesome. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your son who came to die on the cross for sin. All our failures, our disappointments, our defeats, our insecurities, our inability to do anything well. God, thank you that he died even when we focus too much on ourselves. The fear that we are afraid to fail, we're afraid of all the things that we try to become bigger than our fears. We try to become more faithful and thinking that will overcome it, rather than surrendering to you and allowing your faithfulness work through us. Oh God, we just pray that you would truly humble your people so that we would lean on you, depend on you, not be distracted, not allow these weights and burdens to consume us but to run this race with endurance, to run this race in the midst of the pain. And that, Lord, through the pain that you will revive us, give us strength, and be allowing us to run through it. You've set this race before us. May you give us joy as you already have through your son. And I pray that your people here at Grace Church would truly get serious about serving you, honoring you, and bringing glory to you in everything they do. But Lord, please reveal it to all of us here, whether in Facebook, live, or even in this building. Reveal it to us, Lord. What is that weight? What is that distraction? What is that hindrance? What is that obstacle? Please reveal it to us so we can confess it and move forward seeing you work in our lives so we can grow closer and intimate with you. <clears throat> May our joy be Jesus' joy to be close with you in intimacy. I pray, God, that you'll do that work this week. Challenge us as your people to be the people of God. We pray in Jesus' name.